Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Going on, everybody? Good morning. Welcome to Transformation Church. Come on, can we give Jesus a big old shout of praise if he's been good to you? Has he been good? Come on, the Bible says he is good and he does good. Come on, he, he does what he is. And so I'm so thankful for a good God. And uh, if you haven't experienced it, I pray you experience his goodness today. Uh, David's prayer was that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Come on, I don't have to wait to go to heaven to see God's goodness. I'm going to see his goodness in my life today. And uh, I'm believing that he's in this place. If you're new to our community, uh, we gather every week around a person named Jesus. Uh, we don't gather around philosophies. We don't gather around principles. Those are great. But we gather around a person named Jesus. He's alive, and uh, he can do anything in your life today. You can be different uh, than how you came in. I believe that he will change you. We're in a series called Situationship. Before I jump into that, come on, can someone tell the sunshine to turn itself up a little bit? I don't know who turned the sun down, but I'm a little bit upset because it just went from 65 degrees in this city uh, to like 35 degrees in, in a day. And uh, it's a little schizophrenic out there. I'm a little upset about it. And so uh, I want it to warm up. I want you to look at somebody sitting next to you and say this. Say, you're sitting by me. You better warm up to me. <laughs> you better warm up to me. We're, we're in a series on relationships, and uh, we're going to warm up today to each other. And uh, I, I, I've been looking at, and we've been looking at love and marriage and relationships and uh, sacrificial love. Week one, we looked at sacrificial love, like what it really means to love your spouse, love a friend, how to, how to love. The word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13 is agapeo, agape. It's, it's the word, we get the word agony. Um, we all want to build love and uh, love on passion and, and chemistry and all the, all the fun and frills, right? But the reality is like real love, God's kind of love is sacrificial. It's painful sometimes. It, it it endures, it's patient, it loves um, when it's not loved back at times. And so, so we looked at really loving one another that way. And then last week we looked at keeping things in order when it comes to building relationships, building uh, partnerships, building marriages. Like how do you really keep it in order? Well, the world builds on sex, attraction, chemistry, um, and then it moves uh, really quickly into emotion, really quickly into interpersonal. And then it, it, and it gets advice from some friends and social, and then it maybe throws God on top of it. And we looked at that last week going, God's, God's blessing is not on the ingredients Everyone wants God's blessing on the ingredients. His blessing is on the order. And we, and we said this, the order of your life determines the outcome of your life. And so we're real big about order. And so um, a lot of times we say, well, is God first in our life? No, he's not first because if he's first, he could get knocked out of first. He's the center. He's the middle of everything. He's the, he's the center of my life. And so um, I would encourage you, put things in the right order. We looked at that last week, and I really believe um, that you would hear the word. Please don't come in here and over and over and hear the word and not do the word. The Bible says you hear the word, but don't do it, and you deceive yourselves. Like, don't, don't, don't there's nothing worse than self-deception. And so I just want to encourage you, like, I'd rather you not come. And, and I'm, I'm not, I'm really, listen, I, I love a, a big crowded room of people and hearing the gospel, and that's what I was made to do and what our church is here for. But I, I, for your sake, I'd rather, you, I'd rather you not come and hear it and leave and not do it. Because the Bible says the more you hear it and don't do it, the harder you get. That's a dangerous place. 
I would rather you come and hear it and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work it into your heart and life, soften a hardened heart and begin to let that thing like wax permeate your life and body. And then you begin to walk out and do the work. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect, but I'm saying you're coming in with an intent and an intent not to just hear, but to actually hear and go do it. And we all need the Holy Spirit to give us the power to do such. And so it's not in our own strength or ability. It's like, God, give me your spirit and help me to obey your word and to walk it out in my life. Uh, Help me to be bent towards obedience when it comes to the things of God. And I think that's what a Christian uh, who has the Holy Spirit in them is is all about. Someone that's bent towards a different bent now, right? I used to be this, but now I'm this. Is that all right, everybody? Come on, we're, we're, we are different now. So today, uh, we're going to look at, not after keeping things in the right order and doing the will and word of God, we're going to look at really healing hurts. I want to talk about healing hurts. Come on, anybody ever been hurt at all? Come on, if we're going to be honest, every, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, Um, uh, say, if you've been hurt, I'm going to assume that every one of you've been hurt. We've all been hurt. And uh, it's important on on how to deal with hurts. And so Colossians 3, 15 and 16, we're going to start there. It says this, uh, before I jump in, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Um, Lord, it, it never changes, but it changes us. We don't just want words on a page. We want you, Holy Spirit, changing us. We want you um, just letting your life uh, live through us. Holy Spirit, change us today. Um, the Bible says we can go from glory to glory. We can be changed into the, the likeness of God. And so would you change us today by the power of your word? And would you allow uh, the Vols to win the NCAA tournament in Jesus Mighty name. Amen. Come on. We'll take final four. Also, Jesus, we'll take final four. That's fine. We'll settle there if we have to. Colossians 3, 15 through 16. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other. Let the peace of God, the peace of Christ, uh, the peace, you can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. Um, Let the peace of Christ, peace with God is doing what he says, obeying him, walking with him, letting Jesus work through you and in you. Let the peace of Christ now keep you in tune with each other and step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. Very important. None of this disconnection, none of this doing your own thing. Uh, and cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have run of the house, run of this house, run of your house, run of your business place, run of the, run of the culture of your life. Let, let the message have run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. None of this running off and doing your own thing. I want to talk about relational hurts today. And Satan has a strategy, the Bible says, and he has one job description. It's to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to kill your purpose, your destiny, your relationships, your life. He hates you and I. He hates humanity because we're in the image of God, and he hates God's image, and so he wants to do anything he can to God's image to parade it before God and and demean God. That's how he gets at God, by hurting God's image, and so he wants to kill, steal, and destroy uh, the image of God, and so his plan is, from the beginning, was to do certain things to separate us from, from God and from each other. That's Satan's plan. You can see it in the very beginning in the garden. In Genesis 3, after he creates the family, and uh, we talked about that creation last week and looked at how God built marriage in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis 3, it says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Here's where it started. Here's where all relational dysfunction started. Here's where all uh, deception and deceit and destruction started right here. Has God really said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Satan introduced doubt at the very beginning into her mind and into their mind that, that God's word is really true. 
What he was saying is, he's just gonna blur the lines a little bit. It's like, can you, do you really have to do it that way? Like, can I, can't you really do it your way and be blessed? Do I really have to put it in order? Do I really have to forgive in relationships? Do I really have to do, like, did God really say? And so we think oftentimes that we can do it our way and still be blessed. And Satan wants to convince us. So he starts with doubt. And then he goes from doubt to deception. He uses all of these doubt and then deception. He says, did God really say? And then he says, you won't die if you eat it. Remember God said, if you eat this, you'll die. There's always has to be boundaries around blessing. Like you can have blessing, but there's gotta be boundaries. So God puts boundaries to have blessings in our life. And Satan says, no, no, no. If you eat that, you won't die. Deception, it's a lie. And then, and then, he, and then he says this, you will actually be like God. Here's, here's Satan's whole trick on you and I. Here's his whole, his whole game strategy. Doubt and the deception where he says, you'll actually be like God. If you do this, you'll be like God. Satan's plan is to get doubt in your mind to deceive you to get you ultimately, not just to deceive you, to get you to sit in the seat of sovereignty over your life. You'll be like God. You'll sit in the seat of sovereignty. And when you sit in the seat of sovereignty, everyone has to serve you. Spouse serves you, church serves you, community serves you, friends serve you, relationships serve you, bosses serve you, coworkers serve you. Because I'm in the seat of sovereignty. Satan wants to get you into the seat of sovereignty where everyone serves you. Sin never serves anybody. And so he wants to use deception to get you to a place where you're making the rules, you're calling the shots, you're telling everyone how it is, and you don't need boundaries. You're going to be blessed your own way. Deception kicks in. Now we sit in the seat of deception, and what happens? And now, now we get disconnected from God. That's his ultimate. The next thing is that he'll go doubt, deception, and then he wants to disconnect you from God. Come on, if somebody's sitting in my recliner, I'm not going to be a little bit upset with them. If Satan can get you to sit in the seat of the throne of God, there's going to be a little bit of disconnection between you and God because that ain't your seat. And then and now all of a sudden you think you're the one that's in charge. And now you're also disconnected from other relationships because this doubt and deception leads to disconnection. And he doesn't just try to disconnect us to disconnect us. The Bible says that we would not go off and do our own thing, that you would have let the message have the run of the house. He wants to disconnect us to destroy us and bring destruction into our life. This is the whole picture that we see in the, in, the, in the dysfunction of the first, the third chapter of the Bible where Satan's operating amongst relationships. And so all of a sudden now this disconnection from, from God, remember, they're disconnected. They're hiding in shame. They've made their own rules. They're hiding in shame. They're kind of covering up. They've made mistakes. They're, they're, they're lonely. They're isolated from God. God's like, where are you guys? And he comes looking for them. And so the disconnection now leads to a place of destruction. What happens? The son kills the brother. The Cain kills Abel. It's the first picture of all this, this dysfunction that we see because ultimately things can't live separated. You can't live disconnected. If there's a body part that lives disconnected, it eventually dies. That's why Satan doesn't want you to get into small groups. He doesn't want you to join teams. He doesn't want you to build godly relationships because he knows that if you're disconnected from the body, something, a joint disconnected means blood is not flowing to it. And if a joint gets disconnected long enough, there's no blood flow, swelling kicks in, and if no blood flow can get to it, it eventually dies. They have to amputate that part of the body. So Satan wants to use doubt, deception, disconnection to ultimately destroy and bring destruction in our life when we get dislocated or disconnected from the body of Christ. And so we see it. And it's important because you and I, we're all going to have these relational hurts, these lies, these things the enemy says to us, these wounds. I mean, imagine Cain kills Abel. I mean, it's the ultimate 
you know, plan of the enemy. So write this down. Number one, people aren't the enemy Satan is. So no matter how bad you've been hurt and what's happened in your life, come on, Satan used a lot of tools to hurt a lot of us. And the, the people in your life and people in our society, people on the other side of the political aisle, different presidents you don't like, people are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. We have a real enemy called Satan. And he doesn't like humanity. And so we have to understand who we're fighting, what we're fighting against. And, and I think that the enemy uses people and lies and life and pains and wounds to breed doubt, disconnection, destruction, and, and those ultimate things in our life. So how do we heal hurt? If you've been hurt and I've been hurt, how do we heal hurt? The re, we're all going to have a bowl of hurt in our life. Come on, anybody ever had a, a you know, maybe one hurt? Like, okay, I get it. But what happens when life just throws a whole bowl at you? Like, like I don't even know who has a bowl of lemons at their house because no one eats that much sour, right? I mean, maybe some of the seasons of your life have been just sour. Like, it's just been a lot. It's like, how do I even handle all this? Like, one, I can handle. Two, I can handle. But a whole entire bowl of life and a season of life where I've been hurt. And especially when it's like relational hurts. Like, how... Do I deal with relational hurts? How do I handle when life gives me something so sour I don't know what to do? And, and here, here's the very important thing. How you handle hurt determines the quality of your life. It's probably one of the number one determiners of how good your life is, is how, how you really handle the hurt and the pain that we've faced in marriages or with our children or, or with our coworkers or with friends or family. And hurt just has this way, especially relational hurt, has this way of just permeating everything, Right? It's like 360 degrees. It gets in every door of the heart, every door, every room of the heart. It just has a way of like, why is it so effective? Because we love people and you love them. And so that's why it's so painful and so, so dreadful because man, now that they hurt you and it's like, I got this relational hurt in me. How do I handle it? How do I deal with it? And the fact is you've been hurt and I've been hurt. It's the single thread that connects all of us and we have to handle it. I pray today that you leave here and you can handle some stuff you've never handled. That really, God could do a miracle in your life. I promise you, if you'll, if you'll hear me today and you'll allow the Holy Spirit to do some stuff, you're going to leave here different today. This is one of the number one messages that have changed my life, and I believe that it can change your life today. Why do you and I have to handle hurt? Here's why. Number one, God can't heal what you hide. You might be like, I don't believe it. God can do anything. No, <laughs> he, he, he can't heal what you hide. If you can't get real, if you can't get honest, if, you, if you're hiding something, let me prove it to you. Remember the very first uh, relational grievance in Genesis chapter three, Cain kills Abel. It's a huge, I mean, obviously sin happened and deception and destruction and Satan did his work and all of a sudden now we see the fruit of that uh, and we see Cain kill Abel. What's God say? What's the very first thing God asks Cain after he kills his brother? Where's your brother? Where are you hiding the mistake? Not that God didn't know, but he's trying to infer that, hey, stop hiding and burying. Where have you buried the hurt? Where did you bury the jealousy, Cain? Where did you bury the envy? Where did you, where did you hide the, 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 the drama uh, with, your, with, your, with your mama, <laughs> Eve? Where, where, did, where, did you, where did you bury your brother? Where, where, I mean, God knew where it was, but he's asking Cain. I think it's inferring that you and I have a tendency to hide our mistakes and to hide and cover up. Obviously, Cain was covering up some stuff, covering up some pain, some hurt, some, some big grievances, and Cain's going, hey, I'm fine, and he, I'm okay, and God's going, no, 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 where'd you hide it? Am I my brother's keeper? Is it really that big a deal? And a lot of times we 
live in a place where we're hiding. And I'm just saying, I, I want God to be able to heal some things in your life and in my life. And God can't heal it if you hide it. And you're only as healthy as your secrets. And I think sometimes we need people in our life that we can get honest with. Number two, why, why do we need to handle it? Number one, God can't heal it if you hide it. Number two, it sours me. It sours my life. It sours me. You can tell me that your life is going good, and if your relationships are bad and sour, your life is not going good. I've had seasons of life where I had great relationships and seasons where I had painful relationships, and I can tell you the seasons of life with great relationships were good. The seasons of life with painful relationships, and we're always going to have some pain in relationships because we're human, but, but, but predominantly, if you're not handling those hurts well, your life, you can look steady, eddy, and ready. You can look like, man, I got everything going for me. I'm working hard. I'm getting promoted. Things are going good, and if your relationships are bad, your life is bad. It's just real, and if your relationships stink, life stinks. And it ends up souring everything. There was this little boy, uh, his grandfather was asleep in a recliner and he went in and snuck in and put some of that, have you ever heard of that Limburg cheese, real stinky cheese? Put some of that cheese on his mustache. Granddad was sleeping. Granddad woke up and he's like, something stinks in here. He walked into the kitchen like, something stinks in here. Walked into the bedroom, something, then the whole house stinks. Walked out to the front porch, he's like, man, the whole world stinks. Well, it, it, it's that way. If your relationships are bad, it permeates and infects and affects your entire world. It just, it just sours you. And here's the thing. When you're in a marriage or you're in a relationship or in a friendship and you've been hurt, now all you see is through that hurt. It becomes a sour filter over your life. And so, so you can't hear them. You can't see them. You can't communicate with them. Now you're never listening to understand. You're just listening to judge or you're listening to argue back. Or you're listening to make your point and you can't even have a conversation because you're hurt. And she'll say something like, he doesn't see me. No, he can't because he sees hurt, or she doesn't see me or get me. No, she can't, because she's been hurt. And it doesn't just sour you, it sours your eyes, how you see things. Sours your ears, how you hear things. Sours your mind, your perspective. And so how we deal with it is so important. Write this down, hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. It's simple today, and it's sweet today, but it's just the truth. It's going to be short, simple, and sweet, but hurt people, hurt people. And here, here's the reality. It becomes an entire view, and it, it disconnects us and affects all of our relationships. It also affects your relationship with God. It, how you handle hurt affects your relationship with God. Some of you are begging to hear God better, begging to figure out God's purpose for your life, saying, God, I need, I need, I need to hear you. I, want to, I, I, get, I, hear, I talk to you all the time. People come to me all the time. How do you hear God? How do you hear his voice that clear? How do you know it's God's voice? Let me just say, some of you, when you have relational hurt that is undealt with in your life, it actually hinders your communication with God. It actually puts a ceiling and a, and a limit on your communication with God. It, what, basically, the horizontal relationship affects the vertical communication and relationship with God. I mean, the Bible says it in 1 Peter 3, 7, with my wife, it says, for me to dwell with my wife with understanding. Men, it says, men, dwell with your wives with understanding. Understanding, stand under her. Stand under to support. Don't lord over, stand under. Men, dwell with your wives with understanding. Listen to this, listen to this verse. It's a scary verse, freaky. It'll make you shudder. Stand, stand dwell with your wives with understanding, lest your prayers be hindered. 
You're telling me that if I'm not coming up under my wife and supporting her and girding her and supporting her dreams and her vision and her life, that I'm not, you're not going to hear me, God? Jesus, help me. It's the same in relationships. If you have a bunch of unresolved conflict and pains and hurts in relationships, you have a barrier to communicating with God. Prove it to me. All right, I will. Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter a place of worship, if you come to church, and you're about to make an offering, you're about to sing some songs and worship and, and listen to the word, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. That's, that's powerful. It's not easy. But the reality is that you and I have hurt. Hurt people hurt people. So what do we do about it? What do you do about it? I'm going to give you a solution today. I would say this. Have a vision for your hurt. Have a vision for it. Have a, have a vision for your hurt. Like, what, what do you mean? We have a vision for our marriages. We have a vision for our life. We have a vision for our friendships, our goals, our finances. You all could say, hey, what's your vision? Have a vision for your, for your hurt as well. No one ever told me. You can actually have a vision for your hurt. Have a vision for your pain because here's the deal. There's purpose in your pain. And, and the incident that happened to you is not your identity. And it doesn't have to dictate your future. But you need to have a vision for it. God has a plan and a purpose for your pain. You and I need an actual vision. It's not the final truth. It was just a chapter. Hurt people hurt people. But write this down. Number two, hurt people can become healed people. You, you can be healed. You're like, I'll never get over this. Yes, you can be. I'll never be free from this. Yes, you will be. I'll, I'll, I'll never have joy again. Yes, you will. I'll never trust anybody again. Yes, you can be healed from that. You, you can be. Hurt people can be healed. No one ever told me to have a vision for my hurt. In 2006, I was in a place very hurt. I was uh, leaving Dallas, Texas. Uh, the Lord told my family and I to leave. I had planted a small church. It's still going in Dallas with a group of friends, close friends. And uh, one of my pastors, he pastors the church now. It's going. It's a great church. And, uh, and the Lord said, I, wanna, I want you to leave and I want to move you to Charlotte. I'd given up family business to go to Bible school. And then, I, and then I was planting churches and then left planting a church and went to Charlotte. And I took a job selling uh, flooring, industrial flooring in pig plants and chicken plants. I mean, I was wearing a hairnet, somebody. Come on. I would go into chicken and pig plants and pharmaceutical plants as well and uh, industrial plants and, and I would sell resinous epoxy and pharmaceutical grade flooring. Uh, the average sales cycle was six months um, and the average ticket was a million dollars. Obviously, it was a long sales cycle because it was a large ticket item and uh, I had a small family to feed. My salary was $32,000 and um, I had three children. We lived in Charlotte and I would drive three weeks at a time to sell floors to people that didn't want to talk to me. And I talk for a living. <laughs> I, was, I went into depression. I got very depressed in 2006. Didn't know how to handle it. Um, that wasn't like shades out, no lights on, depressed. I mean, I was functioning, but like I gained 25, 30 pounds. Didn't want anything to do with God. Was mad at God. Had left a dream of planting churches with friends. Didn't feel like I was in my calling or my purpose. And uh, now I'm in the middle of Charlotte. I remember one night I'm laying in bed and I look at my wife and I said to her, I said, I'm done with this Christian thing. She's like, what are you talking about? So in 2006, I was like, I'm done with this Christian thing. She said, I, I, I said, I've given up everything, babe. I walked away from a successful family business. 
Went to Bible college to get trained to do what was in my heart that God told me to do. I walked away from, God told me, and I gave up church planting and building churches with some close friends. And now I'm in the middle of Charlotte and look, and look where, and I'm selling floors in these, and I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And look where, look where it's got me. Look where all this has got me. She was like, babe, you have your health. We're laying in bed. She goes, you have your health. You have your children, beautiful children. You have a roof. You have a smoking hot wife. I was like, thanks, babe. <laughs> And, I, and I, you know, I just, but I was hurt. I started, we started going to a church a lot like this one, a bunch of friendly, crazy extroverts like you guys hugging everybody in the lobby. I didn't want anything to do with you. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with these people. I'm, I was hiding in the back of the church. I'd been a pastor. I'd planted churches, hiding in the back on the back row. I didn't want to go to your plugged in class. I didn't want to hear announcements. I didn't want to do next steps. I didn't want to join a connect group. I didn't want to get on a team. I didn't want to, to leave me alone. I sat on the back and felt weird because I'd been a pastor. My wife started getting involved serving in the kids' ministry because she had kids. Hello. <laughs> I didn't. I just didn't want to do anything. I had no vision for my pain. No one told me I could have a vision for my pain. I went to a connect group. I ended up getting invited to the pastor's connect group. He'd heard I'd planted churches in Dallas, and his name was Kelvin, and there was about seven guys on Tuesday nights that would meet in his office. He invited me there, and I came in. I thought we were going to study the Bible or something, they started to talk the first night I was there and started to share and started saying things that like you couldn't imagine they were saying. Like they were just sharing like, man, I committed adultery and man, I was abusive and man, I've been a pervert and I was stuck in depression and I just saying things that, that I was feeling like, you know, like oversharing, like, oh, I didn't hear that. I'm like putting my head down. I'm feeling awkward. You know why I was feeling awkward? Because I healed by hiding. I healed by hiding. They healed by sharing. They healed by getting real and getting honest. And I'd never seen it. And it was normal to them. It was awkward to me. And I, I began to just go back the next Tuesday night and began to say, guys, I'm in, I've been depressed. I picked up 30 pounds. I don't even want to be in church. I hate, I hate church right now. I don't even like this. I don't even like this group. I don't even like y'all. <laughs> I don't want to be here. Like, man, we love it for you. And he started, started, I started going back. 10,000 pounds started lifting off my chest every week. Just oh, started being able to breathe again and talk about some things. And, and, then, and then some people that really hurt my wife and I, this, this pastor like coached us and said, well, you probably need to call him and you probably need to have a conversation in love and say, hey, do you know that we love you and we know you love us, but you hurt us really bad and, and that hurt us. And so I, I began to make that phone call and get vulnerable and get real. And can I tell you that the wounds in my heart began to become scars? As God began to heal me, and I would just encourage you, people will be real impressed by your gifting, but they'll follow you for your scars. And, and you don't have to hide your scars. It's proof of what Jesus has done. Jesus said, look at my scars, touch my scars. They're proof that God can heal. And so, so there has to be this, this vision for your pain. And I would just say that it's really being honest and getting real and not trying to hide because hurt people can become healed people. Satan's path for your hurt is to keep you isolated. I didn't want to be a part of any of it. Satan's plan for your pain is to keep you isolated. He didn't like you to be connected. He lies to you and says your pain and your hurt is uncommon. No, no, no. Your pain is unknown. It's not uncommon. It's just not known yet because you haven't told anybody. There's no pain and no hurt that any of us face that isn't common unto man. 
I don't want to hide to heal. I want to be honest. And so here's the plan for healing. James 5, 16. Here's God's plan. It's very simple. It says this. Make this your common practice. Do this once a year. Do this every other month. Do this when you meet somebody that you can fully trust. Do this when you're ready. No, no, no. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Let me just, let me just say this. The, the Catholic Church had confession right in one manner and wrong in another. They had the, the thought of confession to a priest who was, a, was Jesus or was an intermediary for God was wrong. It's not right. We, the Bible says they, they combine two scriptures. They combine 1 John 1, 9 and, and James 5, 16 into one. It's two different verses. The Bible says, 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins to him, Jesus, not a priest, to him, and, and he is faithful and just to forgive you. That, that, is, that is true. Confession, there is forgiveness. When you confess to God, there is forgiveness. Forgiveness deals with your past. Confess your sins and faults to one another and pray for each other for healing. Confession to one another has to do with healing. Forgiveness is your past. Healing is for your future. Some of you want a strong future, but you aren't willing to tell anybody what's been done unto you or what you did, and so you hide it. But God's saying, no, the plan for your life is to actually confess to one another, make it a common practice, come together, find some people you trust, get connected, get some people in your life, and begin to get healed and whole as you share. Man, it's so powerful. It's changed my life. I've seen it change thousands of people's lives when they can get honest and real. There's a vision for your healing. Can I ever get healed? Can I ever get over this? I'll tell you this. It depends on how you hold it. Can I ever get healed from this hurt? Can I ever get healed from this wound? Can I ever get healed from that backstabbing moment when they, when they stabbed me and they pretended like they were close to me and when they put the knife in me and when they wounded me? Can I ever get healed from it? It depends on how you hold it. Can I ever get healed? They didn't think that I knew, but I sure felt it when they stabbed me or broke up with me that way or didn't give me that job or demoted me or fired me. Can I ever get healed from the lie they told about me or the junk they said on social media? Can I ever get healed from the divorce or the pain? or the? Can I ever get healed from the trauma? Or can I ever, ever get healed from the molestation? Can I ever get healed? Can I ever get healed? Oh God, I deal with it every day. Depends on how you hold it. Depends on how you hold it. Most of our most of our practice is not to confess, but to regress. Most of our practice is not to get honest, but to, to go inward and to tighten around it and to say, this is my identity and I was hurt and this is who I am and it'll never, and it's just painful and I can't, and I don't know if I can ever, and, and it's inward and, and, and can I get healed? It depends on how you hold it. I can't even get close to you, God, and I don't know how they worship like that or how they walk up and pray or how they put their hands in the air. I can't even feel your presence, and you begin to clutch onto the very wound that is in you, and it's internal, and it continues to cut. If I squeeze this thing tighter, it continues to cut. It continues to hurt. It continues to wound. But if you get some people in your life, and you get some godly, trustworthy friends some pastors and some counselors and you begin to do the work and be bold enough to take what was inward and what was hurt and get it outward and begin to hold it in a different way, now the wound becomes a weapon. And what Satan intended to wound you with, 
God will actually use as a weapon. Because hurt people hurt people. Hurt people can be healed. And healed people help others. And so mine and your calling is to take the wounds that have been inward and to do the work to get them outward to begin to say to the world, you know, Satan, no weapon formed against me prospers. I know you tried to wound me, but God is on my side and that wound has been healed up. And now I'm sure, yes, I was depressed. Yes, I was addicted. Yes, I was a pervert. Yes, I was angry all the time. Yes, I was doubtful and anxious. All, yes, I had that. But you know what? God's healed me. I've got some scars to show it's okay, but I'm here to cut depression off your life, to cut addiction off your life, to cut some chains off your life, to serve and help you now. That's the goal, going from hurt to healed to helping in the world. And some of you have gotten healed, but you're still ashamed of your scars. And so you roll your sleeve down and don't show anything. And God's saying, I need you to use your scars to be a weapon to spread my good on the planet. Because there's people that need to know that you were able to get healed through it. Painful people and people in pain are not generous. They're not, they don't help anybody. You ever met any generous people in the ER? Well, you go. No, you go first. No, you go first. Nobody. Nobody. It's because they're in pain. And I just want to encourage you. And let God heal. Take what was inward and get bold enough to get it out and bring it outward. God can redeem some things that you feel like can never be healed or restored. Check out this last verse, Joel 2, 25. He says, I will redeem. I believe we have it on the screen. Joel 2, 25. If we don't have it, I'll say it. I will redeem the things that the locust has eaten from your life. I will redeem it. He promises he'll redeem it, restore it. Get back things that you think you could never get back. Years ago, we were in Nashville. Do you remember when Nashville flooded really bad? We took a group of about 10 people to Nashville to work in people's homes that had been flooded. It was devastation. They lost everything in these houses. I'd never seen anything like it. And there was just piles of trash on the front lawns of people's houses. Just, just devastation. And we took a team and we'd go in and the families were devastated. Obviously, they were, everything was in ruins. The house stunk. Everything stunk. It was, just, it was just chaotic. It was a mess. And we would put the family in a chair, or a couple of the family members in a chair because we didn't want them to have to make any decisions. They were overwhelmed. They couldn't make any decisions. They couldn't even function barely. They lost everything. They're sitting there. They're stressed. They're anxious. They're worried. They, you know, the pain of the mess, the mud, all of it, they're sitting there. And our job was to go in and we did some, you know, we cleaned out carpet and got rid of moldy uh, drywall and wet drywall and did all that. But one of our other jobs was to go in amongst the mud and begin to find treasure and pictures and different trinkets and different things that were worth keeping. And we'd take them out to the family as they sat in the chair and we'd just show it to them and they'd say, yes, oh, oh, I need to keep that. Thank you for finding that. And we'd put it in a pile and other stuff they would trash, but we would bring to them over and over things that might be able to be saved. It would have been easy for them to be like, no, I can't even deal with it. I can't even handle it. And they couldn't. They just sat in a chair, but they had a group of people. They had a group of Christians, a group of church folk. They had a group of people that, that, that showed up in their pain and showed up in their mud and showed up in their mess and let them sit there. And they said, you know what? We think we can find some things, some treasure in the middle of the mess, some treasure in the middle of the pain, some, some help in the middle of the wounds that you face. You don't have to deal with it by yourself. We'll go and we'll redeem and we'll find some treasures in the middle of this mess. Can I tell you that God's got a purpose for your pain? 
There's treasures in the midst of the mud. I promise you that if you'll get some people around you and get honest and allow people to speak to you and help you, and maybe you need counselors, maybe you need care, maybe you need connection. And if you say, I don't need counseling, you the one. I don't need no counsel. I ain't talking to no stranger. You the one. Just come see me. We're signing you up today. Ladies, ladies, if he says, I don't need it, bring him to me. Men, I'll give your wives permission to bring you to me. We're going to heal. We're going to be real. And we're going to work together. God's got a vision for our hurt. And your future does not depend on if you've been hurt, but on how you hold the hurt. Come on, Father, thank you so much for healing us today. Lord, I pray for anybody under the sound of my voice today that's holding on to deep hurts. You died on that cross, Jesus. You were, you, the only reason we can be healed is because you were annihilated. The only reason we can be free is because you were, you were put in bondage and you were pierced. You said that you were bruised for our iniquities. Bruised. You had internal bleeding for deep places that we can't get to. You bled inwardly for the things that have been our inward hurts and our inward pains. And you publicly faced this to remove shame and guilt and trauma and, and, and doubt and deception and destruction off of our life. I pray today that individuals that have been scared or ashamed of their scars or that are still wounded would get honest and would heal today, God. Would find some some other friends, some believers, some connect group leaders, some members, some, some counselors, some community connection, whatever it might be, God, that they would find it. You would, even if they don't look for it, bring it to them today, God. You brought them here for a purpose. And so I pray today's a day of healing. Today's a day of treasure in the middle of any mud. Today's a day of family, God, that we're in this together. I pray for supernatural healing. I pray for any shame to be removed. I pray for any doubt to be diminished today. God, I pray right now for a boldness for people to handle hurt and not hide it. Honest conversations, strong marriages, strong friendships, strong relationships in a new way, oh God. Just for another second, if you're here in this room and you'd say, you know what, I've never really surrendered my life to Jesus. You're talking about hurt and pain and all this stuff inwardly. I've never even given him my life. I've been trying to carry my own pain, my own trauma, my own drama. I've been carrying it all. I've been leading my life my own way. I've been doing it my way. God isn't even my leader. I, I, need, I need a fresh start with God. Maybe you got invited here. Maybe you're watching online this morning. And you say, you know what? I need, I need God in my life. I know I'm not right with God. I'm not talking about church or rules or regulations. I'm talking about a relationship with a man named Jesus that is God. The Bible says that he went to a tree 2,000 plus years ago and died horrifically and publicly and took my shame and my guilt and my rebellion, nailed it to a tree, paid my price, took my punishment, I deserved it, took all that, and then lived perfect, died, and then rose from the dead to prove to us and prove to me he's God. And he has authority to lead my life. He has authority to give me everlasting life. He has authority to remove my shame and guilt, forgive my sins forever. And give me a life that's worth living. He has authority to do that. To bring me into the family of God. If you're here this morning and you're watching online. And you know you need a fresh start with God. You know you're not walking right with God. You want to give him your life today. The Bible says all you have to do is confess Jesus as your leader and Lord. And you get a fresh start with God. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward or stand you up. But I, I just want to pray with you here in a second. If you're watching online right now, would you just, just type in fresh start. If you know that's you and you need a fresh start. 
Maybe you walked with God years ago or gave your life to Christ at a young age, but you've walked away. Life has a way of pulling us in the wrong direction sometimes. Maybe you need to surrender and just have a fresh start with God today. Would you just type in fresh start? We want to pray with you. Send a resource to you right there online. And then if you're in this room, just no one's, no one's going to shame you or, or embarrass you. But if you're in this room, you say, Pastor, I need a fresh start today. I've been doing my own thing, leading my own life, handling my own hurt. I can't do it any longer. I, I really want Christ. I need Jesus to lead my life. Would you just boldly put your hand up to me right now? Pray for me. I need a fresh start with God this morning. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for your boldness. I need, I need a fresh start. Awesome. Come on. I don't wanna, I'm not talking about rules, religion, tradition, church attendance. I need Jesus. I need God to heal my life and lead my life. Anybody else? Just for another second. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for your courage. Come on, church. People saying yes to Jesus, yes to eternity, yes to the life of God. Thank you, God. The greatest decision you could ever make. Come on, even if it's your 50th time saying yes, he can deal with the 50th time. He can use the first yes and he can use the last yes. He gives us a thousand chances. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. Would you just pray the prayer with me right now? There's no magic in my prayer or words. It's just a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of giving your life to Jesus. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you're God. I believe you lived perfect. I believe you lived sinless. And I believe you died for my sins. I believe you went to that cross and took my shame and my guilt, took my punishment. You took my mess ups. You died in my place. I repent from that life and I turn away from it. I believe it's all on you. You died for it. And then you rose from the dead. You didn't stop. I believe that you're God. You have the power over life and death. I believe you're God, Jesus. And now today, I ask you to be my God. I surrender to your leadership and your lordship in my life. You're God. Fill me with your spirit and so I can have the power and the authority to walk with you and serve you the rest of my days until I see you face to face. In Jesus' matchless name. Come on, let's give God a crazy shout of praise in here. People all around this room saying yes to heaven. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.